Hey folks, welcome to the second episode of the Green Root Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Schlossberg, and for this episode, I'm going to talk a bit about Planet of the Humans. As I mentioned in the first episode, Planet of the Humans was part of what inspired me to do this podcast, also the pandemic, and the fact that I've been a lifelong environmentalist, but if you want more info, go into that first episode. But I want to discuss this film a little bit in depth, and I'm going to be referencing a piece that I just wrote that I'm shopping around to various outlets right now to get into that a bit. So before going any further, I was in Planet of the Humans. I was in a few minute segment on biomass energy. So the impacts of burning trees and trash for energy in terms of air pollution, climate, and forest impacts. So you see me trespassing on a biomass energy facility in Vermont where I used to live with the filmmaker Jeff Gibbs. And we're looking at all these trees stacked up outside of the facility because the big, frankly, it's, it's not quite true. <laughs> when the biomass industry says they're not using trees, they're just using parts of trees. A lot of times they're using parts of trees, but parts of trees come from trees. Sometimes it's more complicated in that the logging encourages um, more logging is happening for the facilities and not all parts of the trees are going there, but sometimes it's full trees. So you see that in the, in that clip there. And I'm talking a bit about the CO2 impacts and you can see the smokestack. And then at one point while we're looking at things, the, an individual from the facility comes out and tells us to come over to them and basically get arrested. And then we were like, yeah, well, we'll decide not to get arrested for the day. So anyway, that was about eight years ago. I'm no longer what I consider an activist. I call myself a recovering activist. And, um, but what I said at the time still holds up. I think that in pretty much, uh, is it in all cases? Biomass does more harm than good. There are some positive aspects to it. I just think they're usually dwarfed by the negative aspects. But anyway, that issue got aired a bit in this film. And yeah, I am far better groomed these days. I'm shaving my head and um, doing a little bit better with the beard stuff there. But yeah, it gave me a little bit of a platform. So I'm going to utilize that hopefully for good. But getting into the film itself, what I'm finding most interesting and what I wrote my piece on is about the reaction to the film, mostly from mainstream environmentalists. So I had put out a tweet that said something like, breaking news, mainstream enviros don't want you watching film that critiques mainstream enviros. And that's pretty much what's going on. A lot of the blowback from mainstream environmentalists who, yeah, granted, were hit pretty hard in this and also the issues that they have been working on. And on top of that, it's the renewable energy industry, which is more accurately called the alternative energy industry. They have done a lot of pushback against this film. So I, I feel like there are some legitimate critiques as in People get to have their opinions about stuff, but I'm finding the vast majority of this is is quite disingenuous and 
you know, nothing that one would, wouldn't expect having been seeing what the mainstream environmental movement has been doing all these years. And again, I don't think they're bad people, but I just think that they, they have a limited understanding of things. But the most egregious is basically saying the film is full of lies. I don't think there's a single lie in the film. A lie is something you're deliberately stating to hide the truth, making a false statement on purpose to, to confuse people or whatever. That's not what was done. The film is a minute, an hour and 40 minutes. It can only get into so many aspects of it. There might be some opinions in there that you disagree with. There might be some things said by mostly energy industry people that isn't as 100% the same 10 years later, but is mostly the same. So again, there are some legitimate critiques to be made, but the way in which they're being done is far more <laughs> disingenuous than anything in the film. Uh, the film is set up in a way that it is a bit confrontational for sure. And that's drama. That's a narrative because people don't pay attention if it's not done that way. So if it was done in any other way, you probably wouldn't have watched the film. So there are limitations just in the medium of film itself. There's the perspective of the filmmaker, all that stuff. But I see all this stuff that's just like, here's why it's wrong and I'll tell you why. And it's like, if you think the whole film is incorrect... I don't think anybody thinks that. So so it's just mostly this concerted effort by mainstream environmentalists to not just shit on the film, which is fine, but to try to get it so people don't see it, which is not so cool. So let me just go through some of the points in my piece then, and hopefully you can read that up somewhere soon. It'll get published somewhere. I just don't know where yet. And I can go into a little more depth because I'm talking about it instead of just having to write about it. So... Yeah, the film itself, I think, was well done. I think it was done artfully. I thought the narrative was really interesting. I, I, Jeff is a consummate filmmaker, even though this is his first film that he made, but he was a producer for Michael Moore's uh, Fahrenheit 9-11 and Bowling for Columbine, so he knows what he's doing in the, the big leagues of film. This is the first thing that he wrote and directed himself, though, and I thought the storytelling was great. And, you know, it has a lot of that Michael Moore feel to it, which might have had a lot to do with Jeff Gibbs, frankly, um, Michael Moore's, the way Michael Moore's films are. But um, so I thought that was, it was just a really interesting film to watch. Personally, I didn't learn a ton of new information because I've been working on these issues forever or writing about them as a former activist and as a journalist. So... For me, it wasn't like, wow, I didn't heard of that. But there was definitely scenes I hadn't seen before and certain things to do with the vast majority of the rare earth metals that are used in some forms of alternative energy. That was interesting as well. But it's really the reaction to the film that is most fascinating to me, besides the fact that I'm in it. And I look at it, it's like a Rorschach blot. So a Rorschach blot is the thing that the psychologist back in the day would show you a picture of just this ink blot and you're supposed to look into it and you say, oh, that's, uh, that's a yelling mother. And it's like, oh, that's because you're obsessed with your mother, something like that. So the film works that way because I've seen the most silly responses to the film. The film says that we should, you know, there's nothing we can do. And it's like, 
well, maybe that's your reaction to it, but I don't think that's specifically in the film. So Jeff made the film. He's like, I know what I'm going to do. I don't think anything's possible and I don't care what happens to the world, but I'm going to just tell everyone it's bad and then hope they don't do anything either. Yeah, that's why he did. Come on. So it's like people who are clinically depressed are like, this film depressed me. And like, well, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, but the film wasn't made to depress you. And maybe a little bit. Maybe that's that stage of you got to get bummed out and look past the illusions before you do something about it. And that, I think, is the purpose of the film. But um, let's, let's talk about some stuff. So a lot of it is opinion. There are opinions in the film. A filmmaker has a right to an opinion. When somebody's like, here's why the film is wrong. And it's like, well... <laughs> Here's why a film has a different opinion. So I can tell right off the bat who's actually worth really listening to based on how they frame their reaction to the film. So frankly, anyone who just goes in and says it's lies, or the whole thing is garbage, um, they're not worth listening to. People who are saying that it's lies, uh, they're wrong, but you know maybe they have some valid points to make. The ones who are like, here's what it gets right, here's what it gets wrong. But it's it's pretty arrogant to, to suggest that they know what's right and wrong and that there are things that have changed a little bit over time and therefore that's what makes the whole thing wrong. I, I don't know. I, I, I've not found a lot of honest discussion on this film. And I have found a few places and I've been reaching out to those few avenues uh, to see if they'd want to come on the podcast or if I could talk to them about stuff. But it's mostly unknown folks. And even from a lot of folks who I really respect, they seem to have to really suggest that they don't align with the film. And then you find out when they start talking that they align with almost all of it. I think the biggest criticism is that the film took a while to make. And it did take a while to make. I see it as kind of the last 10 years of the environmental movement, and it's an accurate documentation of that. The reality of a, any sort of film or any form of media that takes a while to produce is that by the time you put it out there, some things are slightly different. So the energy industry does change over time. But it hasn't actually changed that much is the interesting thing. So uh, the because one of the the biggest criticisms is that the technology is all completely 100% different. It's actually not. Um there are some aspects that have improved somewhat. Sure. And what I what I wrote in my sentence just to get everything right um because the film was roughly a decade in the making, some, definitely not all, of the featured technology has improved, in some cases significantly, in others just barely, though much of it is still in use today. So when there's a solar panel that has a specific efficiency and then it's got a little bit better efficiency, well, that's that's great, but <laughs> it's still not perfect. And that's all this is talking about. This is the shadow side of alternative energy. It's not saying this is why it's garbage forever. It's like, here are some of the limitations. Efficiency is still a limitation. Things are getting a bit more efficient. Um, for some of this stuff, uh, the biomass energy stuff is pretty much all the same from my understanding. Uh, there have been some improvements in the solar stuff 
for sure. But the idea that because the solar efficiency was slightly less when this was being made that invalidates the whole film, I'm sorry, that's just not a valid argument. You can point out, oh, well, things are improving and things might even improve more. Well, that's that's great. And how does how do things improve? Well, there's criticism about it and the need to improve upon it. That's that's how that happens. So I don't I don't feel like that's a real issue to get that worked up about. What was interesting is somebody in the same critique had said, well, the film talks about how solar panels don't last very long and the fact that they're inefficient. And it's like, well, it's talked about some particular panels that didn't last as long um, and maybe they're lasting longer now. But what's funny is, well, if they're still around and most of the technology I don't know if it's most, but a lot of the, the panels that were mentioned in this film are still in operation today, according to this person's point. Oh, they're, you know, they're, they're still in operation 10 years later. Okay. Well, that means that the points made in the film are still valid. This is the framework of energy that we're still utilizing. We may be shifting out to more advanced technologies and that's fine, but it doesn't invalidate the film. I, it, it really doesn't. Um, that would be like me saying Jeff Gibbs lied about my hairstyle and my beard grooming because I look at me now. Here's a picture of me now. I shave my head. Um, I have a nicer groomed beard. I seem to be obsessed with this particular topic, but that's a whole other issue. And then, but I look on the film and oh, it's showing me still with hair. And then you can sort of see more that I'm balding. And then my beard, I have a whole neck beard thing and, and I haven't groomed it as well. And my shirt doesn't fit as well. Jeff Gibbs lied about what I look like. I don't look like that anymore. It's like, come on, man. That's, that's just not a, a valid, that's just not a valid way of looking at things. Um, other things that are opinion in there. I mean, a lot of the things that are stated are from energy industry representatives. That's what's really funny. It's not even Jeff saying it. It's people who work in the solar industry who talk about some stuff. And I'm not going to get into all the details of things like intermittency. So yes, it is true. Solar, the sun only shines part of the time. The wind only blows part of the time. Obviously, a lot of times they complement each other because the wind blows when the sun isn't out, things like that. Um, there's decentralization of grids. So we are improving upon that, but that is still a limitation. It doesn't mean it can't be done. It doesn't mean it can't be improved upon, but that is a thing to overcome. The film is valid to point that out versus a baseload energy source, which is why they've done biomass. Biomass was something you can burn trees all the time, 24 seven. And of course there are many problems with that. And same with fossil fuels and nuclear power as their quote, baseload sources. So we might be able to move beyond that, but the idea that it's not a limitation, that's false. It is a limitation. It's a limitation to overcome. The film pointed it out. They're saying, here's a limitation, um, you know, and because, yeah, the film has a narrative, you know, it's, it's casting doubt on things, but that doesn't mean it can't be overcome. Just because there is a limitation to something doesn't mean the whole thing is garbage. But that's unfortunately the way a lot of people think these days. If anything is imperfect, therefore it's nonsense. Um, that's that's a very flawed way of looking at the world. And I actually think that that is behind why a lot of folks on the left and the mainstream environmental movement don't like this film. Is because in their mind, you couldn't 
anybody who does anything that isn't 100% their, their way is should be invalidated, should be canceled. So in their mind, they're like, well, therefore, anything I want to do has to be 100% perfect. And anyone suggesting the things I like aren't 100% perfect, well, that can't be because if they weren't 100% perfect, I'd have to dispose of them as well. And that's... That's, I think, behind the intolerance of even critiquing a thing that we might want more of, which is solar and wind. And for the record, I think in situations where it can do more good than harm, solar and wind are probably a part of the equation, but they're not alone the only thing that we need to do, just plug those in. And that's unfortunately what the mainstream environmental movement has become. And that's what I think the deepest critique of the film is about is we can't just do that. So, you know, even if the film was like, oh, solar and wind are great, but we can't just do that. I think people would still be pissed off because that's really what the film cuts at. So let's, let's get into some of the more absurd criticisms, which are actually (laughs) in the mainstream media and pretty prevalent. And while at first the media was covering this a bit, they, they kind of stopped because they realized it didn't fit along with the Democratic talking points. So uh, Democratic Party talking points, because that is ultimately what the mainstream environmental movement is. It's just another arm of the Democratic Party. And I, we can get into that later or maybe another time. So some folks are saying that the film has something to do with climate denial. <laughs> I mean, I'm speechless because the whole framing of the film is that we are undergoing serious climate crisis. So this film has taken even the most, I don't want to say extreme view, but believes that climate change is a major, major problem that is threatening the planet itself or very much, uh, or at least human beings. So that's, that's central to the whole film. So nonsense. Somebody who says that the film is about climate denial, I'm sorry, but they've lost all credibility in my mind. That's such a basic thing that nothing else they could say. I mean, maybe they have other things to say, but I'm not going to waste my time. Saying that the film is advocating for fossil fuels. The whole thing is about how fossil fuels have created climate change, and now we're trying to fix it with basically the same way of thinking, and that doesn't work. It's not advocacy for fossil fuels. Somebody... I was at, I was um, opposing biomass for a while, and then I, I started a publication that actually gets into both sides just because I wanted to have a discussion, even though I personally feel like it's not a great thing. So when I was an anti-biomass activist, I was accused by mainstream environmentalists of advocating for fossil fuels, being in favor of coal, which... It's because they couldn't grasp certain things. So I'd point out, actually, biomass energy emits more CO2 per unit of energy than coal because it's you have to burn more trees to get the same amount of energy because coal is more dense than biomass. And that's not an advocacy for coal. <laughs> that's just pointing out that biomass could be worse. We shouldn't be doing either of them. But they can't process that. They're like, why are you saying that a thing is is not, you know, is worse than coal? And it's like, we got to be able to hold two thoughts in our mind at the same time, people. And so I experienced that knowing how, how ridiculous it was. That's what's going on with the film, too. It's it's nonsense. Um, folks are saying that the film is right-wing, <laughs> which already, come on. But 
the one point they make is, look, look at how all these conservatives and conservative media is uh, eating up the film. It's like, well, what they like about the film is the fact that it's what they call the left eating the left. So disagreements among the left, they, they love that because they think that helps their side. And, you know, they like the fact that there are some critiques of solar and wind because they don't care about that. They think fossil fuels are great. Um, but again, it, it's, it's a very juvenile way, way of thinking to suggest that we want the desire to improve a thing that's on your side. So a desire to improve the environmental movement through legitimate critique equals, well, therefore we shouldn't protect the environment. Th that's nonsense. That That's pure nonsense. And the parallel, I would say, it, it's as ridiculous as saying that a, a, somebody who's been voting Democrat for their whole life and they're critical of, say, a Democratic candidate for president like Joe Biden. Oh, you must be a Trump supporter. Is that the way your world exists that <laughs> you you know it's either one side or the other that that is a that is a primitive mode of thinking and we need to move past that. And the fact that that's taken hold so much in the environmental movement that's supposed to be so progressive is very frightening. So that's that's not even worth uh, discussing anymore. Um, yeah, and, and I talk a, a bit more in my article about the idea that therefore we should, there's some limitations to solar and wind. We, we should never do it. I don't think anywhere in the film it said, don't do these things. That's what folks are reading into that for whatever reason or pretending what the film is saying. I think at one point, Ozzy Zayner, who's one of the producers and he's, featured in the film a lot, and the film is built, based a bit on his book, Green Illusions, that talks about limitations of alternative energy. And I think at one point when he's talking about all the coal that goes into making a certain kind of solar panel, that he's like, oh, you might as well just burn the coal. That was a hyperbolic statement. You know, I, I don't genuinely think that he thinks that it's the same thing. Um, you know, that taking people's hyperbole into that it is a factual statement it is not, you know, it's, that's, that's disingenuous. Like, oh, I wanted to kill him. Oh, you, you were planning to commit murder? Like, no, and you know that. And let's just say that's what Ozzy said. What if he, he really believes that? Uh, I think it's incorrect if he believes that. I don't think he believes that. But so what? One thing said by one person in the film is the whole film. Remember in the beginning of the film, Jeff asks people, how long do you think the human species has to live? And people had different responses. And one person said, oh, we're going to live forever. It was a person, some woman at a bar or something like that. Oh, we're, we're going to live forever. So I don't hear people saying, Planet of the Humans is suggesting that humans are going to live forever. And in fact, that is a lie. And we have a lot of evidence to suggest that humans can't live infinitely because the sun is going to explode at some point and therefore you shouldn't watch Planet of the Humans. In fact, we're going to make it so you can't watch it. We're going to try to <laughs> prevent the film from being shown. It's like, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but that's not that far off. It was a thing said by a person in the film and then th that paints the whole film. I, I don't buy it. And something that really does bug me as well, and I, I get where some of the caution is coming from on this topic, but I'm sorry, people, we're adults and we have to talk about things. And if you're in the environmental movement and you don't talk about 
these issues and how they intertwine, I don't think you're an environmentalist. And that's the population issue. It's population times consumption. So it's not just population. It is correct that folks in the developing world consume way less than folks in the developed world. And folks in the developed world need to reduce their consumption. And folks in the developing world, you know what? They have a right to probably expand their consumption. The issue is this. At what point is, you know, amount of people in the developing world equal to the amount of people in the developed world with their consumption? Less people, more consumption. And then as time progresses and the developing world becomes also the developed world and their consumption goes up too, which I don't feel like I have a right to say they can't, you know, but that that's, that's a problem. That That's an issue that is fundamentally underlying all of this stuff. And I would say consumption comes before population, but population is also involved. And of course it all ties into the economic system that encourages it. But I believe my personal belief is that economic systems come about not because they're just, here's some guy who decides he wants a thing and does it. It's because people are demanding certain things and certain economic systems provide that. There are ways that we can do things better that don't require that amount of consumption and yeah, population as well. And, and so it's fair to have mentioned that. Um, the idea that it is therefore advocating for eugenics is another kind of thing where if somebody throws out that accusation, they've lost all credibility in my mind. They, they might be coming from an emotionally legitimate place where it, they don't like to see that and they're afraid because racists have utilized the population argument. But just because racists take a thing doesn't make the thing automatically garbage. Racists like dogs, you know, Hitler loved German shepherds, you know, and that doesn't mean if you like a dog, you're a racist. So I think when you get into that discussion, yes, it needs to be carefully navigated for sure. But just tossing in its eugenics, basically what that was, that's an attempt to smear the film, smear the filmmaker by saying it's racist because most of the world now, even though there's still plenty of racism, most of the world has acknowledged racism isn't cool and certainly not being labeled racist. That, that's a pretty negative thing. So a lot of times folks will just toss that out in this case to just, oh, it's racist. You don't want to see it. And people are like, well, I don't like racist things. Like, yeah, hardly any of us like racist things. And the film is not racist. So that's, we can have that complex discussion. But if you're just tossing out, oh, you mentioned that the amount of human beings on the planet have play a role. You therefore hate certain races. I'm sorry. That's, that's, that's not somebody who I want to have a discussion with. It, it's somebody who's not capable of a genuine discussion or they have ulterior motives, which is just to silence. But this is a long, this is a long history of mainstream environmentalists. And in this case, basically the alternative energy industry, which is not environmentalism. It's a technology industry that can be more beneficial than some of the older technology. That's fine. But it's, it's nothing new with the mainstream environmental movement trying to, what I, what I say, silence, suppress, and discredit the more biocentric elements of the environmental movement. Because that's, that's what I think is really going on here. It's these deeper issues behind this. It's not the fact that solar panels are a few percentage more 
or even several times more in some cases more efficient. That that's not that's not the underlying I think yucky feelings that people in the mainstream environmental movement get from this film and why they feel the need to destroy it if they can, which they can't. But the only reason we're seeing these engagements, you know, because folks like myself and others have been saying this stuff for a long time, but you don't really hear about it. But this time, because of Michael Moore's vast influence, the discussion got out on the public stage. And for once, the mainstream environmental movement, which, you know, is tied into the mainstream media, they they couldn't silence the message. So they couldn't act as a gatekeeper. And so they they're very upset about that. And what I say here is that the tantrums we're witnessing are little more than the death throes of the mainstream environmental movement. Because there are a lot of other things they could be doing in response to this film. And I'll mention that at the end of this. But they're not. They're just like, oh, the film's all bad and don't see the film. It's like, well, that kind of validates everything that was said in the film about the mainstream environmental movement. And again, I keep repeating this. I think a lot of the mainstream environmental movement has done some good stuff. It was a necessary phase and there's some really well-meaning people in it. Just overall, it's it's outliving its usefulness. And so something that I find really interesting though about the biomass stuff, back to me, in the film, I, I've seen a lot of critique of the film. I haven't seen hardly any critique of the biomass section, which is most of the energy critique in the film. And, um, you know, so keep in mind, so, or if you think the whole film is crap, um, so you support burning forests for energy. The thing is they just, they're like, oh, well, that part's bad, but we won't even mention that. And I find that really interesting. In fact, I find that hilarious how accepted, oh yeah, no, no, biomass is, is bad. And we've always said that. No, you haven't always said that. Um, one of the sentences here. So I, I was a part of the environmental movement for a long time. Um, I was very much praised and celebrated for the work I was doing, which was around forest stuff, stuff that was basically accepted. Then as soon as I started doing stuff around bioenergy, biomass energy, the impacts of it, uh, my sentences here is, uh, I was shunned, censored, slandered, and blacklisted by many former allies, some of whom even went after my funding. Before very long, I found myself exiled both professionally and socially from the movement in which I was once celebrated. And that's what happened. I was talking about this issue, which I felt was an extension of forest protection and then tied into all sorts of things like air pollution and climate change. And mainstream enviros did not want to hear it. Why? Because they were advocating for it. It was part of their solution. And the Democrats were a big, the biggest push for it. Senator Ron Wyden in Oregon you know, a, a big leftist hero of a lot of folks on certain issues, he's been pushing for that like no one else. So that was, that's when I learned, oh, if you say something that is genuinely about protecting the environment, but it doesn't go along with the mainstream environmental group funded, groups funded by corporate energy industry, and it doesn't go along with Democratic Party talking points, then they're going to cut you out. And um, what's interesting, though, is so a lot of these groups will say, no, no, now we now we oppose it. It's like, well, OK, at the time you, you certainly didn't. And that was the biggest proliferation because there was a lot of stimulus during Obama's time funding for these facilities. But and and now that biomass is power isn't 
the biomass electricity isn't getting out there as much. It's mostly because of the fracking boom. So because we're in the bubble right now of fracking, which will burst eventually, that's cheaper than running these biomass facilities, and some of which actually run partially on natural gas. But anyway, um, so now that they're not actually planning to build as many for now, it's easy for them to come out against it, but they're not. They're actually just opposed to biomass power, which some people have rightly pointed out is only a few percentage of the electricity mix. So some of the folks who said, yeah, well, the biomass part is a legitimate critique, but it's only 3% of, it's like, yeah, but 43% of all renewable energy in the U.S. comes from biomass for heating and transportation fuels. So almost half of what is called renewable energy is still biomass. So if you just look at that electricity component, then that argument of like, oh, well, I don't know why it focused on biomass so much. That's only a small percent. I don't know if that's a deliberate misunderstanding or what's going on with that, but no, biomass is still alive and well and with us today. And um, you look at the platforms, a lot of these groups who maybe over time, when it didn't matter as much, are saying, oh, we don't like it. They're still advocating for a lot of it or at the very least not fighting it. Um, you know, then there's the whole part with Bill McKibben. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to get into that another time because there's a bit more in depth with that. And I've been in communication with McKibben here and there over the years and including more recently. So I'm, I'm going to leave that alone and maybe address it in the future. And who knows, maybe he'll come on the show. So... But my point about the biomass thing is, okay, so you've accepted that that is a not a great thing that the film brings up. Um, so it's it's nice to be a part of the one part of the film that most people are not, even in the mainstream environmental movement, don't have a problem with. But you suppress that information. I experienced that. I, I was a part of you preventing that discussion from even happening and the repercussions for being one of the few people who were talking about it. So I wrote in my piece, um, anyway, my story is just another example of what happens when you bring up topics that aren't rubber stamped by the mainstream greens, which makes you wonder what other issues they're on the wrong side of and what voices they're suppressing today. So I think that's valid. These folks didn't see the landscape at the time, so maybe they shouldn't be leading the way. And let's see here, moving right along. Myself, the, the director, Jeff Gibbs, most mainstream enviros agree that we do probably need to transition away from fossil fuels and nuclear power, that those are damaging sources and that we, we can't continue with. Um, Gibbs and Moore have been longtime opponents of nuclear power. I fought nuclear power when I was younger in Vermont, and they eventually closed Vermont Yankee. That was how I first started doing activism. So, and the reality is we've we're going to transition away from oil, whether we like it or not, because of the realities of peak oil. This stuff is a finite resource, right? The point that Planet of Humans brings up is that wind and solar on its own are not going to power an ever-expanding industrial society. So we have to rethink the economic system upon which we base everything in our very ways of life. And that is what the mainstream environmental movement does not want to hear. I think some of the folks involved with it know it's the case, but it's it's not. That is why they hate this movie. Okay, so when the mainstream environmental movement, you know, not not the people who are part of the energy sector who make money off it, but folks who are 
legitimate mainstream and viros who are trying to do good things. They, they, they can't process that. They hate that idea. Like, no, no, we can't go into that. And for various reasons, but um, we got to look at some numbers. In, in 2019, fossil fuels and nuclear power bid 82.4% of U.S. electricity with wind at 7.3% and solar at 1.8%. So we're not, we haven't gotten very far. So let's just say solar and wind are great and we should move forward within every case. Well, we're not moving very quickly. Um, and the idea that this film, because it suggests it could there are limitations to it. It's going to shut down. So, nonsense. It's a market. If people want that stuff, they'll they'll make it. So, but here's the thing. That's only 38% of U.S. energy use with is electricity. So the rest is transportation. That's 28%, and that is almost entirely fossil fuels. Some of it is biofuels. Which remember that part of the film? There, there's limitations to that. It's not probably more more harm than good. And then heating, and then half of that comes from fossil fuels. So, if you think that the film wrongly critiques too much of the electricity component, well, I don't agree, but fine. What about the rest of it? You know, so even if we used every kind of alternative energy and we didn't care about its impact, so we did industrial scale wind, solar, massive hydro, biofuels. Um, could that actually, could those sources power the world as it is today, much less constantly expanding our energy demand? I don't see a future in which we're flying solar planes across the Atlantic to go on vacation. I just, I just don't see that. And I've not seen any argument that that will happen. Some people are saying, oh, well, it, we'll figure it out. And like, well, that's, that's great that you're that optimistic. Uh, I, I, I don't think that that we will. And let's just say that we could do that. Yep, everything will be pure solar and no harm because we'll have figured out a way to do it and make more solar with solar panels. Uh, maybe. Is that going to happen soon enough to prevent runaway climate change, which scientists are telling us we need to deal with now? And if that's the case, you know, we might have to go deeper than some tech fixes, right? So technology alone cannot save us. Some technology is fine, uh, but, you know, I, and I use some analogies in this piece there talking about how conventional thinking versus how environmental, mainstream environmentalists versus uh, Planet of the Humans. And uh, you can read the piece to, to find that out. But, but it's basically to do with there's a crappy way of doing things, then the mainstream environmental movement, let's make this little tweak to it. And then folks like Planet of the Humans and other, you want to call them radicals, deep ecologists, biocentric folks are saying, we need to fundamentally take a look at this whole aspect of why we're doing things that way. But mainstream greens, if, if they did that, they'd lose their membership because people don't want to hear that, that they have to be doing things differently. Um, the corporate foundations, many times from the energy industry, are not going to fund <laughs> things that are going to reduce an economic system that is what filled their foundation coffers in the first place. And because the mainstream environmental movement has become just an arm of the Democratic Party, which is not going to win votes from saying Americans do things differently and then just has vague concepts like the Green New Deal, which might have some good aspects, but also you know, some limitations and also can open the door to nuclear power and bio, biomass. So 
that's why the mainstream Greece don't like it. And I do talk a little bit about solutions in my piece because the film, one of the critiques about the film, and I'm almost done here with my spiel on this, is that the film doesn't have solutions. So even a lot of people who like the film are like, oh, it doesn't give me a solution. It's like, well, I don't think that was an accident. First of all, this is an hour and 40 minute film. A film, okay? Much a, a Books might not even have enough time to figure out what we need to do, but a film, it's not going to have all of this. You know, the point of the film was to expose the eco-crisis, the root of it, in a way that the mainstream environmental movement has been unwilling or unable to do. So it's reframing the problem so we can move forward and then we can do that. You know, Inconvenient Truth, the Al Gore film about climate change, which did open the eyes to a lot of people uh, after he was vice president when he actually could have done something about it. But um, that didn't really have solutions either. It was like, oh, change your light bulb. So that's it's not necessarily going to be in the same place. Guess what? He has left that up to us. And if Jeff put out his solutions, you wouldn't like him anyway. So the analogy I use is about thinking of the environmental world. It's like a relay race. So, you know, people have been running it for a while. Let's just say Planet of the Humans, it's run the most recent leg and then it's hands us the baton, right? And so what I wrote in my piece, embarrassingly, instead of continuing the race, mainstream greens are standing in the middle of the track yelling at their teammate for not running fast enough or for dropping the baton along the way. They're not taking this and be like, oh, we like this part, um, not so much this. That's why we're doing this. They're just like, um, everything we've been doing is fine. Um, ignore this film. And you know what? I'm not going to spend a bunch of my time just critiquing the mainstream environmental movement, even though that's what I've been doing. Um, they're not taking the baton. They're, they're not interested in taking the baton. They could have taken the baton for this. They, they haven't. So let's, the rest of us, step in and take that baton and run like our lives depend on it, you know? It's, it's time for us, the rest of us, the folks who, who are, who want to see genuine solutions to this rather than just feel good about ourselves for being environmentalists or just get the latest Democrat into office or just, you know, um, get some membership donation or whatever, that's going to be up to us. So once we acknowledge that and we don't count on these mainstream greens to, to help us because it, it's, it's they're shown that they're, they don't want to help us, then let's, what do we do, right? And there are a lot of things. That's the thing. There are so many things we can do. I think as long as it's tied into a general framework we're all moving forward on, you know, so making sure, like, oh, we're going to fix it with this, with cutting down trees and burning them. Well, maybe that's not what we should be doing. Let's let's kind of agree on some ground rules. But so what, what do we do specifically? Well, it's we can blame corporations, right? I mean, they do degrade and despoil the planet. Um, I, I think a lot of corporations should be should have less power, less control over us. Um, it used to be the left that was fighting back against them, but now, like we see, social media corporations silencing people, and a lot of the left is like, "Well, they're a business; they get to do it." So, a lot of the left has lost their legitimacy for pushing back against corporations. But that's still legitimate, and there's tons of people who are doing that and going really to the the root of that. And but I feel like there's a deeper root than that. 
I mean, for sure, we need to put laws into place around corporate entities and, and, and all that stuff. And, um, you know, also look at the economic systems we're, we're, we're living in. But these corporations only exist because we keep feeding them. We feed them with our modern lifestyle. They're providing us with stuff that we're demanding. And maybe people are being tricked through marketing into, you know, wanting some piece of crap. And sure, but there's people still want it. People still, so unless you think everyone is just such a stupid sheep that they can't think for themselves, um, people are making decisions that feed these corporations, whether it's consciously or unconsciously. So rather than be like, oh, I wish this bit, you know, like, oh, I hate the fossil fuels companies. It's like, well, you get, you send them a bill every single month. <laughs> so you go protest them and then they're like, Okay, um, as long as you keep the money coming. And then, so it, that's not enough. We, we, it's not either or. You know, we got to look at these larger systems for sure and do all sorts of organizing around that. But unless we're looking at those, the root aspect of our consumption, our lifestyles, it's, it's, not, it's not meaningful. And an analogy could be like disease, right? Um, sure, we should develop vaccines to new pandemics that we create, but we need to also try to prevent new pandemics by looking at our behaviors that create pandemics. So if you're just like, no, 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 I'm not going to care about preventing a pandemic. We'll just come up with a vaccine. It's like, well, maybe, maybe not every time that you will come up with a vaccine and maybe that's not the best way to do it. So we're going to have, uh, you know, in the case of COVID, like economic ravaging across the world, deaths and suffering, Oh, well, well, we might have a vaccine later. Yeah, well, guess what? I would rather have prevented that from the source. And that's what I see going to the root of these issues really is. It doesn't mean we don't all, you don't want a vaccine. We can also have a vaccine. You understand? That's if, if you can't follow the, we can do both way of thinking, then it's time to work on critical thinking. <laughs> so... I'm going to just close with this because this is this is a bit heavy and light at the same time. But this I do feel like is underlying everything. And, and this is not going to be a topic I'm going to bring up every time. But I do feel like this is part of the real root. And I want to get at this now and perhaps again and again on the Green Root podcast. But so humans evolve self-awareness after a while, right? When we were living kind of more in tune with the natural world. And we started realizing we were going to die. So to deal with that, which is pretty hardcore, we started becoming obsessed with clinging more to pleasures and then chasing away any negative aspects that will remind us of our death, you know? And that's why we, we crave stimulation and distraction, why we're addicted to drugs, alcohol, food, sex, shopping, travel, our smartphones, etc. So back in the day when we had cravings for like, oh, I want to eat more from that berry bush, it's only going to do so much. But with billions of us and then exploiting all of our modern technology, this, this craving for that stimulation and distraction and our, our consumption, it's a disaster. And this is why we accumulate all these resources. We work at these jobs that we hate, that we know are not good for the world, not good for us. But they raise our social status because we can make more money with it and we get more um, respect. And that gives us more access to all of the above. 
you know, as we work at these jobs, let's say you're just doing something that you know can make you money while maybe harming uh, the economic system, say Wall Street bankers. Sorry, that gets you. You get more drugs, you get more alcohol, you get more fancy food, you get more sex, you get to shop more, you get to travel more. You know, that's why people do it. We're rewarded in our society for doing that. And it's that consumption that drives the economy of endless growth. So we can we can discuss, oh, well, maybe a more socialist system versus capitalist system. If people are still having all these demands on it, a socialist system would still be despoiling a lot of the natural world. Maybe it wouldn't be encouraging as much product consumption, but I still don't think that would be enough at a certain point. And a lot of... There have been a lot of improvements of poverty in terms of poverty, and, and that that needs to be acknowledged, you know, that some aspects of the economic system have improved some people's lives, but that doesn't mean that's the only way to do things. But if you look beyond that, the economy stuff, we are, as human beings, we're more depressed and anxious than we've ever been. Studies show this across the board. Um, as a collective, we're, we're fragmented and tribalized by our ideologies. We're devolving into these, and, and it's a literal devolution, devolution of our consciousness. We're becoming like, this is right and wrong, and, and we, we can't even talk to people who have slightly different opinions. It's, it's terrible. And despite our advanced civilization, or more likely because of it, we spread this deadly plague of COVID across the world in a matter of months. And probably worse ones to come in the future. Hopefully not, but likely so. I'm not saying that this one isn't bad, but it could be worse, and maybe that's what the future one is. So basically, so what I say in the article, even if we could power the status quo with wind and solar, why would we want to? And so I mentioned the film from Planet of the Human, the quote from it, if we get ourselves under control, all things are possible. I like that, and I think that's the message of the film. If we get ourselves under control, all things are possible. That's a pretty optimistic statement. Those who think the film is just negative. Why, why did you ignore that thing? You know, so I think it's saying, so how do we move forward? How do we do this? How do we get ourselves in control and move forward in a way that makes sense? And, and there's so many different things. There's so many different ways to do this. Um, so I'm not going to try to monopolize that. But I do think that part of it a lot of it, and at the heart of it, we got to shed our preconceptions of the world. So our dogmas and ideologies, oh, well, this is based on this theory, and therefore that's everything. We got to realize ideologies can be a useful tool, but let's say uh, you got a Phillips head screwdriver is one of your ideologies. And you're like, oh, well, here's a Phillips head screw. That works. But then you have a nail and it doesn't work at all. <laughs> so you can't try to screw in the nail with your Phillips head. It's time to use other things. We got we to gotta think beyond that. So looking at things as tools and not being so tying our identities to our ideologies. And over time, I think we'll go deeper and realize we're actually, we're all a part of nature, right? We, we can't separate ourselves from it. So you can call that whatever you want. Creation, existence, I, I don't consider this spirituality. This is just science, right? We're a part of energy. Energy comes from Energy can't be created or destroyed. It comes from somewhere. We've come from somewhere, our atoms. Then it goes back into the earth, however you want to look at that. You want to look at the, the Tao, 
it doesn't matter. It's pretty much all the same thing. But the idea is that we're, we're pushing against death. We're so afraid of death. Um, but there isn't really such thing as death as we think it. You know, I'm not talking about heaven. I'm not talking about soul at all. It's just that we're a life force and we're all individual lamps. But just because our lamp goes out, that doesn't mean the light disappears. So the light is still there. So if we start realizing it doesn't matter, you know, we're, we're all going to die. We were, we were not in existence individually longer than we're in existence. So in a sense, that's a going home. If we start to just accept aspects of that, it doesn't matter what aspect you accept, you realize we don't need to be afraid of death anymore. So we don't have to constantly consume and feed our faces and, and you know, touch upon all of our senses constantly to just either dull ourselves or just make everything into constant pleasure. Once we realize, once we stop having that drive to do that all the time, we're going to find a bit more of that balance that we've been looking for in terms of just humanity in the natural world. So I do feel like that is underlying everything. And that's way deeper than I think most people are going to go into. And, and I don't, I'm not going to bring that into every conversation, but I think if that isn't also part of the conversation, which is what Planet of the Humans brings up, um, then I think we're not going to solve the environmental crisis. And I think ultimately people don't want to watch this film because it reminds them that they're going to die. But I'm telling you that that doesn't matter, that that's all okay. <laughs> and decay is okay is a saying I've had for a long time. It's a part of the process. So that is basically the hardest realization for not just mainstream environmentalists, but any human being to come to. But I think we need to come to that. And don't worry, all the podcasts are not going to be talking about this sort of stuff. But don't leave it out of the equation is all I'm saying. And if you haven't seen Planet of the Humans, you should see it. If people are telling you not to see a film, obviously that means you need to see it. If you have seen it, I'd really be curious what you have to say. In the coming weeks, I'm going to be having folks on the podcast to talk about all sorts of environmental issues, but also their perspective on this film. Um, I'm likely going to focus first on those who have done what I feel like is a legitimate critique of it rather than bringing their own ideologies into it. But then I want to talk to folks who, who think it's garbage and we'll see if they want to talk to me. A lot of times these folks don't want to talk about the issues. They don't want to talk about it. And that's, that's ultimately what the rift is. So basically I don't even see it as an us versus them other than those who genuinely want to have discourse versus those who don't, those who genuinely do are going to be a part of the green root podcast. Those who don't, they're going to be off doing their own thing and you know, nothing we can do about it. Take care until next time.